Good morning. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, go like this. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their, a their ears away from the truth and turn aside to the myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The word of the Lord. All right, kids, you can be dismissed unless you want to stick around for the sermon, which is going to be great. According to a study published in 2018 in the journal Science, it says, on average, uh, false stories reach 1,500 people six times faster than true stories do. They also said that false stories are 70% more likely to be retweeted than true stories. And in another study, 56% of statistics are made up on the spot. All right, so... Our media infuses all kinds of falsehood, false narratives. Uh, that It's inevitable that we will succumb to some kind of false teaching or false uh, story on the news or on the internet. Anybody fallen for a false uh, story on the internet before? Come on. All of us have. Even if you're not raising your hand, right? We've all fallen for fake stories on the internet, and it's like, oh, I saw it on the internet, it must be true, right? That's what we all thought when the internet came out. We ever thought everything that we saw there was true, because it was published. Um, propagandists understand that this is the key to getting everyone to accept your message, even if they don't accept it right away. In fact, Adolf Hitler, um, in his book, Mein Kampf, uh, he said that slogans should be persistently repeated until the very last individual has come to grasp this idea. Come on, Jeremy, there's no way that I'm going to fall for any other fake stories out there, fake news, whatever. In fact, you know, I'm educated. You know, I, I, won't, get, I won't get sucked into the trap of believing something that's not true. I, I know scripture. You know, I know the Bible, and, and I am convinced that no one's going to trip me up. Well, I can, let me just throw out some examples right? Um, God helps those who help themselves, right? Who's heard that one? 
God helps those who help themselves, right? I thought that was in the Bible, you know, as a kid. It's not in the Bible. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Uh, by the way, Benjamin Franklin is attributed to have having said that. But it says that God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So God helps those who can't help themselves, right? It's the exact opposite. How about money is the root of all evil? Come on, raise your hands. Money is the root of all evil, right? We've heard that too, and it sounds like it's true. It sounds like it's from the Bible, but in fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, it's the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people who are eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's interesting how we can look at Scripture and it gets twisted into believing something that isn't actually there. In fact, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, after Jesus was baptized, he was led out into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan. And Satan used Scripture and twisted Scripture into trying to get Jesus to bow down and worship him. But in the passage that Chuck Vetter read earlier today in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, these are some of the last words we have of the Apostle Paul. Obviously, his last words are amen at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? Um, but that, these are the last words that we have of this apostle before he is executed. And he is laying down the absolute last things that he wants to make sure that his uh, his follower Timothy, not his follower, but the one who he's instructing Timothy, he's like, you've got to know this. And it's all about false doctrine, and it's all about the truth of Jesus Christ. You've got to get this one right, Timothy. He says, preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Why, Paul? Because Timothy, there is going to be opposition that's coming your way. In fact, we see later on in verse 14, one such person, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. And you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Earlier in chapter 2, we find out who some of these people are again and what false teaching is happening. He says, if we're not going to confront this, this is what's going to happen. He says in verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. And they say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. If you ever run into like a Greek or Latin word you don't know how to pronounce, you just kind of say it fast and people just assume that's how you're supposed to say it, right? But this is not the first time Paul has had to educate and train up those leaders of the church. He is warning them that there is false doctrines that are being spread around the churches and it has to be stopped and it has to be put to a stop immediately. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he's writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, Look, I am astonished that so many of you are quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert this gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
As we have already said and now say again, if anybody preaches you a gospel other than the one that you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. It's no different when he was addressing this church in Ephesus in Acts. We see Paul's word to those people in Ephesus earlier in Acts chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. He says, Even from your own numbers, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away the disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. When I was growing up, I came to believe some things that were not true. I went to the doctor's office, my pediatrician, and whenever I was sick or getting my checkup or whatever, he would, he would open my ear up and he would look and he would shine his light and then he would... He's like, oh, you've got birds in your ears, right? And I was like, what? I've got birds in my ears? How is this possible? Like, birds are big. And he's like, oh, no, I can see them. They're in there. And I thought for years that I had little mini birds living in my ears. I found out that is not true, okay? I also thought, this is, this is going to sound weird, right? Um, I had many family members drinking uh, tea all the time during the summer, and sometimes after I would come out of the bathroom, I'd be like, oh, it stinks in here, right? And I always thought it was because they drank so much iced tea, right? I thought iced tea is what made the bathroom stink. Okay, that was wrong. And then seven years ago, Seven years ago, I realized that the song Dream On was not sung by Led Zeppelin. It was sung by Aerosmith. And I was like, what? Really? I swear that was a Led Zeppelin song. No, it was Aerosmith's song, right? This is just kind of going over a lot of your heads. It sounds like a Led Zeppelin song. You know what I'm talking about. Dream On. No. All right. Well, needless to say, I was wrong into believing something that was not true. But this truth that Paul is addressing Timothy about is less, is a way less trivial than the things that I was duped in to believing. So what was Paul so adamant about? It wasn't something trivial. It was something so important, so crucial, so good that he had to deliver this message and making sure that it was received well. So This word gospel literally means good news. It is good news. It is great news. It is the best news that one could ever receive. But we hear this all the time. Oh, preach the gospel. Hear the good news. And we're like, okay, well, I kind of know what that is, but really, what is it? Are we saved by grace through faith alone? Are we saved from hell? Are we saved from our sin, our addiction, those lifestyles, things that keep us from experiencing God? Are we saved in order to go to heaven? It is all of those things, and just like the game show host says, but wait, there's more. There's so much more to this gospel, this good news message that Paul is explaining. Yes, it is all these things, and it's so much more. What has Jesus accomplished that has changed these people's lives so much that they are willing to suffer unto death to proclaim to the world around them. What was Paul and Timothy and the disciples willing to die for in order for this world to hear this news? The answer 
is everything. Jesus accomplished everything in their lives, and their lives were so transformed that they couldn't help but share what they have received with other people. So I'll ask myself this question as I ask all of you this question as well. Has Christ made such an impact in your life, Jeremy, congregation at Countryside Covenant? Has Christ made such an impact in your life that you are willing to go and suffer and even die for what you have come to believe? Has Christ made such an impact in your life that you just can't help but want to share that good news with other people? And if you're like, oh, you know, I don't know if if it's that much, right? I want to encourage you this morning that there is so many things that our church is offering for you to get connected in, to, to equip you, to help train you with great patience, right? We have so many opportunities, and Linda's going to explain some of those things at the end. But Jeremy staff at Countryside Covenant, congregation at Countryside Covenant, are you prepared? in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction right now? Are we ready right now to do those things? Have you ever talked to someone who believes the exact opposite of what you believe? It's Thanksgiving around a bunch of family members, right? In a family, uh, awkward family conversations, right? Anybody run into anything, uh, anybody that believes the exact opposite they believe? And you start arguing each other's points and you're both trying to prove how the other person is wrong and how you're correct, right? And you're just kind of going back and forth. I forgot what I was going to say with that. Oh, that's, that's what I was going to say. So, Pastor John talked about this a few weeks ago in one of his sermons, how someone came to his youth group, it was a visitor, um, a, a young person, and they started getting into an argument with John, and he was getting all flustered, he was getting frustrated, and so he kind of just, he's like, Arr! and he's like, yeah, I won the argument, and the person left, and he never saw them again. So he's like, you know, even though I won the argument, I lost the relationship. He was not uh, with great patience. In fact, um, he said this past Sunday that he has now experienced an immense freedom that when he encounters people that disagree with him, he's okay with that because it's not his job to convince them of the truth. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convince people and to draw them closer to him. And I have learned that through all of my conversations with people who disagree with me, which there are a lot, right, that that disagree with me, I have found that I have not won one person to Jesus Christ in an argument. I have not come to the end of the argument until they were like, you know what, Jeremy, you're right. What do I need to do to get saved? No one's ever done that in an argument. Now, maybe a few years down the road, maybe their heart has been softened, maybe they have given their life to Christ, but I have not found that in any conversation or argument or, you know, point, counterpoint, you know, someone's like, okay, I'm convinced now, tell me. This can be a difficult challenge as we navigate this world together, as we proclaim this good news of Jesus Christ to other people. We do not walk alone. And I will emphasize this over and over again. We have Bible studies, we have small groups, we have discipleship groups. We have all kinds of ways to plug in Christian formation classes. We have so many opportunities for us to build each other's faith, to encourage one another, to walk alongside each other, to learn the truth to experience the truth, to go and proclaim the truth with one another. 
So what exactly now is Paul pointing out to Timothy? He's saying, look, there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be false teachers in this church. In fact, we see early on in the first and second century, there was a debate going on within the church that was saying, did Jesus Christ really come in the flesh? Or was he just a spirit to be made look like a man, right? That's called doceticism. And doceticism uh, teaches that Jesus only came in the spirit and did not actually have flesh and bones. Also, that was uh, one of the other issues that was um, inundating the church was called Gnosticism. It was basically teaching that there was a secret special knowledge that one could attain to achieve salvation, and, and not everybody got to receive the secret knowledge. Again, Gnosticism. And then in the third century, this guy named Sibelius began to emphasize in his church, most likely in Rome, of the one— Okay, now I want you to listen to this. He started to emphasize the oneness of God as opposed to God's triunity. In fact, he went and said that there is no distinctions between the persons of the Godhead. The one God manifests himself in three different purposes, in three different modes or aspects— Sounds kind of true, right? But this is an unbiblical denial of the Trinity. In fact, when I was in seminary, again, I, I feel for all of you as well, right? I was, I was taking this master's level class in theology, and Sibelianism came up, right? And I was like, wow, this actually sounds right. This sounds true. This, this makes sense. Why, why aren't we believing this again? They're like, because we're not heretics. And I'm like, okay, well, hold on now. This sounds true. And it isn't true as much as it sounds true. It's the denial of God's nature, his triune nature that has been demonstrated from the very beginning of Genesis through Revelation. But it kind of sounded like it could have been true. In fact, in, there is all kinds of ways in which the gospel of Jesus Christ in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, has been corrupted. In fact, in the 5th century, Pelagianism taught that there is no original sin and that it did not taint human nature so much to where humans could actually achieve perfection without divine grace. These are the teachings that were starting to inundate the church that were taking away the truth of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and it was distorting it into something else. How does one achieve salvation? So all of you people who are in confirmation class, and I feel you, it is sometimes difficult to be in confirmation class, and you know who you are, but it's important that you get this understanding. It's important that you struggle with this, and that you learn and that you grow so that you can be equipped in every season and out. We see today that there are people who have distorted the truth of Jesus Christ. The orthodox belief of Christianity is twisted into something else. We see that in the Jehovah's Witnesses. Their understanding of who God is is completely different than Christians' understanding of who God is. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches Jesus is different than the Jesus that we've come to understand, and they use the same terminologies to describe the same things which are completely different. But this is exactly what Paul is addressing to Timothy. There is a debate surrounding who Jesus Christ is. There is a debate of what the gospel message is. Who is God the Father? Who is the Holy Spirit? 
Who is Jesus Christ? How does one attain salvation? You've got to have the basic understanding in Timothy. And look, because starting in verse 3, there will, time, there will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And this isn't the first time we hear about this warning to the other churches. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 4, Paul says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion for Christ, or devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach to you, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you've put up with it easily enough. That means it's like, oh, a new teaching. Okay, we'll accept it. You've got to be more grounded than that. And then the apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 He's saying, look, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into this world. This is how you can recognize that the spirit, you can, how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. It's easy to fall into the trap of believing something that isn't true, especially when a little bit of truth is sprinkled into it. We fall into cult leaders' teachings because maybe it feels right, it seems right, it's something that we've been looking for. And perhaps this is solving a particular issue that I have at this particular time. And it's easy and it's tempting for us to misunderstand what verse 3 and 4 are not saying. It is not saying, it's not talking about doctrinal issues within the church that divide churches or which create new denominations. He's not addressing human sexuality. He's not addressing women as senior pastors. He's not addressing slavery. He's not addressing abortion. He's not addressing a global flood. He's not addressing philosophical personal preferences, educational backgrounds. He is saying this gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be perverted. This is all about the gospel. Stick to this this is what is most crucial, and I back that point up because of the four other passages that I read earlier and many more, which point to the fact that Paul has got to tell Timothy it's all about what you believe about Jesus Christ. Pastor Sean, or Pastor Sean, Pastor Sean, there's, I'm sure there's a Pastor Sean somewhere. Pastor John, uh, your pastor here, um, he showed a picture to this in, in staff uh, probably a couple years ago. And he said, in the core of what we hold, there are things that we must be willing to die for. These are the things that we will die for. This is the gospel message. This is what Paul is getting at. And then the peripheral things, these are the things that we're willing to defend. These are things that we believe very strongly in and we will defend our position. And then the outer circle, these are the things that we will discuss as uh, Christians. But there is, it can kind of go either way. You know, well, what do we, what do we say about a particular thing? And it's tempting, honestly, 
uh, all of us have done this at some point. Whatever it is, our pet theological issue is that we want to hold as a salvation issue is not a salvation issue, but we make it a salvation issue where we say, hey, you know, um, I kind of question your salvation whether or not you believe this or not because it's at the core of what we're willing to die for, right? I've seen this on so many theological positions, things people are willing to die for. And look, this is the message that Paul is getting at to Timothy. He's like, it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these other things that defend and the disgust are important, but they're not critical to salvation. We have to get this message correct. What he is also not saying is he is also not addressing the culture wars that are going on in Ephesus. Sure, there was all kinds of things that were going on, cultural issues that were totally anti-the church. But he's not addressing that. He's addressing the issues specifically within the church. And he wants to make sure that the people are not led astray into believing something else, which is going to ruin uh, the overall message of Jesus. He doesn't stick his head into the politics and the affairs that are outside of the church. He says, Timothy, this is a kingdom issue. You have to get this right. You must get this right. If you stand firm in your calling in the church, then... Your people are going to change this world. If you can change, if you can make sure that this message stays the same, you can equip your people to go and change this world. In the same way today, Pastor John and I and the staff here at Countryside Covenant Church, those on our leadership team, our primary concern is for all of you. We want you to be equipped to go and share this good news to this world around you. We want you to have a firm foundation on this gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so important. I want to summarize uh, that circle uh, that John kind of gave us the illustration for. And uh, it's actually uh, from a German Lutheran known uh, Robertus uh, Madelianus. Again, I just kind of, you know, you go over those names, right? But I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. And uh, this quote is sometimes uh, attributed to St. Augustine. But he says, look, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. In essentials, we must be unified. In non-essentials, we have to offer a certain amount of liberty. In all things, charity. And I know what some of you were thinking. Liberty, 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 liberty. Right? If you didn't, now you are. Okay, sorry. Finally, Paul concludes this last part to Timothy. And I'm going to conclude in three minutes. All right? So here we go. He says, But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now in store for me is the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is telling Timothy, look, it is up to you now. I have carried this message on. My death is imminent. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around. So I am offering you as this last piece of advice, this last piece of instruction, this last piece. You must go and do this, Timothy. My time is gone. I'm going to receive this crown of glory with our Lord Jesus Christ and you too. It's not going to be like that crown that you win when you're competing in the games in Ephesus. 
You're going to compete, and you're going to do this, and you're going to receive it too, and all of those who have received this message. You can do it. You can do it, right? I was wondering why people were laughing. I guess the slide popped up, right? All right. But you can do it. Just keep going. Timothy, I believe in you. Countryside Covenant, I believe in you too. I believe in you too. We are a Bible-believing church. And we say as an affirmation, you know, we don't, this isn't one of the covenant affirmations, but we always ask, where is it written? Where is it written? You know, show me. That's one thing that Missouri actually offered us. You know, show me. They're the show me state, right? That's the only thing, okay? But we want to know, where is it written? And we do a really good job at our church to make sure that we always come back to the Bible and ask, where is it written? So, do you, church, feel equipped in every season and out to go and proclaim this good news to others with great patience? Are you prepared right now in every season and out of season to go and give a hope for what you have come to believe? Are, are you prepared now? If you're still kind of like, well, I don't know, or, you know, I could always get better We've got something here for you to get involved with. So I encourage you, please fill out your connection cards. We'd love to connect with you. We want to get you plugged in because we want you to go and proclaim this good news that changes lives forever. And we want that same good news to be brought to our world who so desperately needs a Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again for your love, grace, and mercy in our lives. Thank you that you change lives. Thank you that um, you demonstrate your own love to us, that while we were still sinners, you died for the ungodly. Thank you for saving us, even though we didn't deserve it, that you are gracious and loving. And so now we want to be equipped with your power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to go and proclaim this good news, this gospel, to this world, and God, that we would be able to stand firm in our doctrine, that the message of who you are God, is, it is real, it is true, and it is something that we are we're willing to suffer for and to die for and to live for, most importantly. So we proclaim this truth now and forever. Amen.